Welcome everybody, my name is Makal Nasrani, and this is Islam for Christians. Episode 18, Surah 112, Al-Ikhlas, The Sincerity. Say, He is Allah, the One, Allah, the eternally besought of all. He begetteth not, nor was begotten, and there is none comparable unto Him. And now the Arabic as recited by Saad al-Ghamdi. Muhammad once called this surah equivalent to one-third of the whole Quran. The emphasis is on the oneness of God the essential nature of God, and the impossibility of comparing God to anything in his creation. More on that later. But for Christians, that third line stands out. He begetteth not, nor was begotten. This is one of the few parts of the Quran that can be seen as direct shot at Christianity. And it might be. The more conservative Quranic commentaries say so directly, while the more liberal ones don't comment on the verse at all. Almost every translation uses the word begotten as well, making the message rather clear. God does not have children. So what is this word universally translated as begotten? It's a pretty straightforward word in Arabic. It comes from the verbal root WLD, which means to beget or to birth a child. The form in the Quran with a T in front of it, basically refers to propagation, generation, reproduction. So Allah does not propagate his species. You could see that as anti-Christian, but you could also just see it as an extension of normal Islamic sensibilities. God should never be confused with the creation and its attributes. It's a blasphemy that was omnipresent in pagan Arabia, thus the emphasis. And for Muslims, God is not like the creation, be it rocks or wood or rivers or mountains or animals, and that includes people. Reproduction is an attribute of nature, not of God. It would be just as blasphemous to talk about God sneezing. This ties in with the other three ideas of this surah as well. If you see line one, which is, say, he is Allah, the one. So God is of one essence, and his creation should not be confused with God himself. This was a very early surah, making it known that it is not like any other religion in the area. We, as Muslims, they would say, do not worship animals or nature or false gods, nor their offspring. We worship God and God alone. So now see line four, and there is none comparable unto him. This is why depictions of God are blasphemous, and why Muslims are so careful about that. It's a warning against anthropomorphism, which is the human tendency to fit God into our own visions, to see him through our own filters and our own desires. An example of this would be to conceive of God as either male or female, as black or white, as Jew or Arab, or as any quality that might make him more palatable to you. God exists outside our filters and prejudices. 
he always has, and he always will. That's one reason it's so verboten to depict God in any way. It's not just a worry about idolatry, but because any depiction of God, by definition, is a lie. God cannot be captured in art. Also, here's something to chew on. Is it anthropomorphism when the book of Genesis tells us that humans were made in the image of God? Okay, now see line two. Allah, the eternally besought of all. This line is actually just the word Allah and a one-word description of him. The descriptor can be translated as eternal, meaning God is not bound by time. But the key here is not just that God is eternal. The word at the end of that line can mean absolute, or the uncaused cause, or the more Greek-sounding unmoved mover. God is, and was, and will always be. So, are these thoughts really anti-Christian? Do we believe in multiple gods? Do we believe in physical idolatry? Fights about icons aside. Do we believe God had a beginning and will have an end? For 99% of Christians, the answer would be no on all counts. The only matter of difference is whether God actually begets. The Christian answer is certainly yes, but not in the crude animalistic sense. Yet I think this is a point where Christians and Muslims have to recognize a fundamental disagreement. The nature of God's relationship to humans and his desires toward humans. Christianity carves out an exception in the person of Jesus, in the idea of God in us. We believe God loves humans so much he desired to share in their experience. It's a wild idea, and it's certainly blasphemous and completely out of bounds to traditional Jewish sensibilities. Christians believe in this exception. Jews and Muslims do not. But is the Quran actually denouncing this concept? Or is the Quran refuting a crude sense of God having children in the earthly, literal, sexual reproduction sense? Remember the audience here. The idea that God does not reproduce was way more likely to be aimed at Arab pagans than at Christians. It just it seems a little early in the game to be having arguments with Christians that may or may not have existed in that area. Given that, perhaps it's more logical to consider the reproduction as it relates to Arab gods rather than the Christian God. And did Muhammad even understand the Trinity in the Christian sense, say the way the Byzantines would have? Remember, there weren't many Christian priests in the area either. Byzantium was pretty far away, but they probably knew some Christianity from local Abyssinian merchants and slaves and traders. How much Muhammad really understood Christian theology is unknown. But the Trinity is a hard concept even for Christians. If someone heard it in passing, it would seem like three gods. And that is the type of thing that would draw Muhammad's ire, for sure. Now, admittedly, this could totally be wishful thinking on my part. It would be a completely fair criticism to say, I am reading this through Christian denial lenses. You should know that the third line of this surah in Islamic orthodoxy is almost always read as a refutation of Christianity. To believe that it is not certainly makes one an outlier. And that's okay. I'm certainly used to being an outlier. Everything about my life is an outlier, really. 
But things are not always how they seem or how they have always been seen. Remember, the last year or two should have given all of us some healthy skepticism of so-called experts and how they are just as likely as anyone else to walk, quite happily, in lockstep over a cliff. Religious thinkers are not immune to this either. Actually, you would be amazed how many core tenets of major faiths are actually built on some very flimsy ground once you dig into the origins a little bit. Tradition builds upon tradition, and after a thousand years, no one ever bothers to question the original source of that tradition. This could be one of those things. I'm also open to the idea that this is a refutation of Christianity, a complete denunciation of the blasphemous concept of the Trinity. But it might not be that simple either. And really, isn't that the fun part? Christianity has been around for 2,000 years, and there are still seminaries packed with thirsty souls asking unanswerable questions. Humans have long been doing the same thing intellectually since ancient Athens. From Augustine to Aquinas to Luther to Barth, from Socrates to Epictetus to Descartes to Kant, these men were intellectual and or spiritual giants. They peered into the infinite and each came back with incomplete answers. And those people's failures should give us all a license to be wrong, which is something to keep in mind when studying religion, or anything else for that matter. Anyway, that was a long way of saying that it's important to think about these things for yourself, rather than rely on some authority to announce them on high, that this means X, that means Y. That person making that proclamation was a human, and I guarantee there's plenty that humans have never thought of. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.